Hansburg Road across from the hospital. Whoa, my God! Listen to this. Get the highlights and recaps on any game at 943thegame.com. Touchdown! Plus, you can stay in the know with insights from 94.3 The Game staff. He scores! You get in the picture? Nah, baby, you don't get it. Oh, well, let me explain it to you. This is the only place you can get the inside story to all things pirates. This is awesome. 943thegame.com. Always on, no matter where you are. Patrick Johnson and EZU Athletics play here. This is WRHD-FM, Farmville, Washington, Greenville. 94.3 The Game. Do you breathe purple and gold? Are you ready to hoist the colors? Now, time for the most in-depth look at the world of ECU athletics. Welcome in to Hoist the Colors with your host, Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. Watch the show live on Facebook and at 94.3thegame.com. Now, here's your host, Stephen Igo. All right, welcome into the show. Hoist the Colors on 94.3 The Game. It is Friday, May 12th. We are live on YouTube, live on Facebook, of course, live on 94.3 The Game. Big edition of the show. We got ECU baseball to talk about. They're taking on Memphis in a crucial series inside Clark Leclerc Stadium this weekend. We've got some recruiting news. The Pirates picking up another transfer commitment. We'll recap that, talk about what that means. Could there be another commitment on the way? We'll discuss that on today's edition of Voice of the Colors. We're also going to visit with one of the best quarterbacks in program history, David Garrard. That interview coming your way in about 15 minutes or so. So we started the week with Shane Carden, one of the best quarterbacks in ECU history. We're going to end it with David Garrard. So a lot of good former quarterbacks joining the Hoist of Colors program this week as we get you through May. Hey, one day closer to football season, Philip. We're talking a lot of baseball today as Philip Pilkington is in studio with myself. Uh, we're going to talk some football recruiting as well. But you know, I, I, I enjoy these off-season interviews because it gives us a chance to kind of catch up with, with old Pirates or whatnot, see what they're doing now, and always good to hear from the former Pirates. It is because, you know, I think especially when you are a fan of a team like ECU where this city is Pirate Athletics. It is here because this college is here. And I think maybe sometimes as an ECU fan, you feel that you do have a little deeper connection with the athletes as opposed to a place where they've get 100,000 people in the stands that come from all over the country to go to these games. And some of the fans that are fans of these teams are never even been to the state in which the city's from. And you take a, take a team like Notre Dame. Yeah. And no disrespect to them. But when you're a fan of a team like ECU, you feel like you have a little more of a personal tie with these athletes, so it's that much more, I think, to better to uh, hook back up with them these years later. Yeah, and we, we talked to Deshaun Amos yesterday, and he's now making a living in the CFL, and just get, catching up with guys like that, we'll continue to do that throughout the months of May and June, uh, but let's talk about a guy who's going to be a new pirate as we talk some recruiting news to lead off the show East Carolina has been extremely active in the transfer portal. We've talked about it earlier this week. We talked about it last week. The Pirates are seemingly getting commitments every few days right now. They picked up wide receiver Keelan Marion earlier in the week at a position of need. Well, this morning we broke the news on Hoist the Colors that Campbell defensive back transfer, grad transfer, Jonathan Jones, will be coming to ECU for his final year of eligibility. Well, you might ask, why is this such a big deal? Guy from Campbell coming over. Well, one, he's a big corner, 6'1", 195. It's been a long time since ECU has had a couple of big corners. With him and Siobhan Rebel, you got two guys who are going to be able to match up well with some physical receivers. But the other thing is experience. This cornerback room has been completely redone 
basically from the top down. Jules Montanar is the new cornerbacks coach. He t- takes over for Steve Ellis, who left to go to Louisville. Malik Fleming was your starter last year. He transferred to Houston. Juwan Powell was a starter last year. He's transferred to Coastal Carolina. Demel Hickman played last year. He's transferred to Georgia Southern. And then also, uh, Pre Washington played a lot last year, and he's graduated. So basically, your entire two deep is gone. Your corners coach is gone. You got some talent returning. We can talk about some of those names, but you need a veteran guy. Jonathan Jones, who's played more than 1,000 snaps, led Campbell with three picks last year. He looks like he could be that guy. And I think that corner is one of those positions that experience means so much. It's such a mental position. So I know some people are thinking, oh, he's a Campbell transfer. That's an FCS school. But, you know, we just we're looking here at the roster, and I think there's a lot of potential on this Pirate roster, but it's a lot of inexperience. And not that experience doesn't help at every position, but when a position is more mental than physical, experience I think helps just a little bit more. And two, you know, from from covering recruiting and college football for several years now, you know, the skill positions at the FCS level in many cases are, are just as talented, you know, outside of the elite, elite schools. But you see, if you watch the NFL draft, you see a lot of receivers and DBs from smaller, quote unquote, smaller schools get drafted. So uh, just because he played at Campbell, I would not, you know, knock on that. I talked to him last night over the phone to kind of confirm the commitment. He said he does have a chip on his shoulder. He is looking to hopefully head into his last year of eligibility, get some more looks, make it to the professional level as a result of coming to ECU. But the one thing I do like about this East Carolina cornerback room now is you look at the past few years, they've been experienced, but they've been pretty short. Malik Fleming was only 5'8", 5'9". Jaquan McMillan was an elite cover guy, but even he got exposed versus taller receivers. I look at a guy like Siobhan Revel, 6'2", 180, 4'4". This guy, 6'1", 195. Tymere Brown, the North Carolina transfer, has got good length to him. They also added Louisville transfer Rance Connor. Those two guys have not played as much, but they've got talent. So I think the talent of the room is there. And yes, you're replacing a lot of guys, but let's remember, what did ECU finish in pass defense last year? Like 131 out of 131 out of 131. Yeah, so uh, they they need an upgrade. Uh, And I'm, for for one, I'm looking forward to, to what this group does. Now, look. I don't like the fact you got to open at Michigan. There's going to be some growing pains, but I think long-term, this group can be better than what ECU has had. The big thing that you mentioned there early in that statement was size. And nowadays, not that you haven't always had big receivers, but back in the day, it seemed like big receivers did big receiver things. Fast receivers did fast receiver things. There's more you know, multi-tool receivers that are big and fast, and that is that much more important now to have big corners. I think this can really help the Pirates. So East Carolina adding a another position of need. This is now three transfer corners to kind of offset the guys they've lost this soft season, which we just mentioned. Also got some freshmen coming in who are talented, but again, they're freshmen. You just don't know what type of impact they may make right out of the gate. Uh, receiver, we d- we touched on earlier this week, Keelan Marion from UConn. Keep an eye on Chase Sowell from Colorado, the transfer. He visited BYU this week. He visited East Carolina this past weekend. He's expected to make a decision as soon as today. I'm hearing the Pirates are in pretty good shape there. So another 6-3 big receiver, speaking of size, who could come in and help this offense. So, I just like what this this staff has done to me, Philip. The biggest three positions of need going into this transfer portal cycle were, were corner, wide receiver, and offensive line. And you look at it right now, they've added three offensive linemen with starting experience. They've added uh, two wide receivers already, 
and Ryan King, who enrolled for the spring, and then Keela Marion, if this uh, Sewell kid commits, that'll be three. And they have also added now three corners. So they didn't just go out and say, hey, we're going to take one guy and hope he works out. You take strength and numbers, and I think that's a good philosophy to have. I think they did a very good job, Mike Houston's whole staff, and going out and doing this, like you said, not putting all your eggs in one basket is key. And it speaks a lot to them that they were able to go out and land these guys and from a recruiting purpose standpoint. But I think this speaks a lot of the respect players have for Coach Houston because nowadays in the area of the tr- era, excuse me, of the transfer portal, guys are going to go to places where they feel they trust the coach, where they feel like it's a great culture. If they're leaving, they're leaving for a reason, and they want to better their situation. So I think this speaks a lot of what Mike Houston has done, not only here at East Carolina, but his previous stops in James Madison and a couple other places as well. Definitely a ton of guys added through the portal, young and older. If you want to see the full list, go to hoistthecolors.net, click on the 2023 recruiting class, and at the bottom, they've got all the transfers listed, those who have already been in, those who have committed recently. So a lot of new faces this year for ECU football, but I think a lot of talent. I still think this team overall talent-wise is is basically just as good as last year. It's just you don't have the known names, you don't have the experience, and that's a concern along with the schedule. But uh, we'll we'll talk some more football here in a bit as uh, ECU. You know, we'll, we'll keep an eye as well on, on Chase Sewell. Maybe he announces his commitment here during the show. If so, we'll touch on that. But uh, another guy to watch for in the portal going forward. Let's transition to baseball. Philip, huge weekend inside Clark Leclerc Stadium. Memphis comes to town, three-game series, East Carolina playing for a conference championship every time out right now. And that is uh, that starts tonight at 6 o'clock in what should be a, a fun series. ECU will be the favorite. Memphis comes in, uh, I think, around 500 or a little under 500. They've struggled under a first-year coach at times, but not a bad team. And if ECU doesn't show up this weekend, uh, you could be upset and, and be in a little bit of trouble. But this is a big weekend for the Pirates. It is. It's a very big weekend, as you mentioned, in the conference standings as well as the hosting thing. And I think the conference standings have a lot of effect on whether or not the Pirates host, just solely because of the fact that it is a down conference, probably one bid league. And if, as well, as long as the Pirates win the conference right. tournament, it'd be a one bid league. And the committee is probably not going to want to put the second place team in the American in a top 16 scenario. But, you know, you mentioned this is a team that can jump up and upset you. And I think you're right, especially because the fact this is one of the better pitching staffs that the Pirates seen have seen here in the last two to three weeks not saying it's the best staff all year but lately we've been seeing teams that hit the ball well but with really good ERAs or really bad ERAs excuse me they're a little bit the opposite side of things and coach Godwin even talked about how this team is very streaky when it comes to hitting and I think this is a staff that if the Pirates can get in a get in a hitting slump early they will take advantage of that and the Pirates could really be in some trouble. And if you haven't been following the championship situation, East Carolina heads into the weekend a half game out of first place behind Houston. Houston is going to Tulane this weekend, so we'll definitely be scoreboard watching there. If ECU sweeps and Houston only wins two out of three, or if ECU wins two out of three and Houston uh, loses the series, the Pirates will move in the first place. Basically, to make it simple, ECU has to finish one game better from this point forward than what Houston does through the last two weekends of conference play. So keep an eye on what the Cougars do, of course, be it Clark or Claire Stadium, or listen to it on 94.3 The Game. Interesting, the pitching rotation for this weekend, Philip. Josh Groves getting the start on Friday for ECU, which is tonight, of course. Treya Savage listed as the starter for Saturday. Our good friend TBA back in Sunday. <laughs> uh, 
seems to be a familiar theme, uh, especially with ECU kind of going to last year's philosophy of just closing out innings, using as many guys as you need. But your thoughts on how this rotation lines up? And it was for so much of the year, it was you Savage, Groves, or you Savage, Spivey, Groves in that order. You start to have maybe some guys deal with soreness and consistency, and we've seen this change the last few weeks. Zach Root getting a start at Cincinnati, now not listed as of today in the starting rotation. So um, it, it almost seems like it's week to week right now with this uh, starting trio. It does seem like it's week to week, but you know, you throw your best guy on Friday night, and I think over the last month, our best guy's been Josh Gross. Really, when he was starting on Sunday there for most of the season, but even here these last few weeks, it seems like he has been given the Pirates the best outing. Obviously, Trey Savage has been pretty good, but when he has not been dealing with his injuries, but obviously with him dealing with that arm soreness, hasn't quite been, I think, pitching to his potential. So I like the move. Yeah, and I think with, with Trey, it's just you don't want to maybe throw him out there on Friday night right away as he works his way back. And uh, what's interesting is Memphis's best pitcher, Dalton Fowler, scheduled to go Saturday. He's actually one of the better pitchers in the league statistically, and he's a lefty. So that's not ideal versus ECU's lefty-heavy lineup, but uh, that could be a tremendous pitching matchup. Seth Garner, who's 1-3 with a 5-5 ERA, set to get the start tonight as a righty for Memphis against Groves, who's 4-2 and two with a 3-2-9 ERA. And I almost look at this because I heard originally that Root was, was potentially going to start Friday, and then a late change was made. I wonder with as many guys that threw – for Wednesday's 13 in the game if they're not saying hey we might need Root out of the bullpen Friday or we might you know because I don't think they want to bring Groves out of the bullpen Friday so maybe you're you're they're reorganizing here in case they got to go to Root Friday out of the pen to try and win that game and give the other guys an extra day's rest or they could also be wanting to go with a pitcher or a starting pitcher they think they're going to get more innings out of too because Root I mean as good as he's been he's been good for four innings yeah. you would say so they're maybe hoping that josh gross can really go out there and get a quality start which is six innings plus with less than 200 runs would be really big and take some pressure off i wouldn't say it's a taxed bullpen but right. we did play 13 innings the other day yeah i mean pitch count wise i don't think you're gonna see i don't think you're gonna see why it for sheen to come back i mean he threw a ton sunday through a lot wednesday so he's probably out as far as availability tonight in an ideal world you know, Sailor threw a lot, so you would think he's probably he threw 50 pitches, probably one day's rest, not enough there. So uh, those guys more than likely would be more ready to come back Saturday, Sunday. So it's almost like, hey, let's get through Friday and see what we can do. Maybe you bring back a Danny Bill. Maybe you use Root, whoever. Uh, maybe get landing game comes back. But I think it's going to be a situation where you do have to find a way through this game, and hopefully Groves gives you a good start. But uh, that, to me, this will set the tone for this entire series and that's easy to say it's a Friday night game but you got to find a way to win tonight I think to set the table for the rest of the weekend and the reason that this even more so than a normal week sets the tone for the series like you said Friday night always does but it's because of that thing that our bullpen's a little taxed and if you have the bullpen throw too many innings tonight you could really be in trouble going down to the weekend just kind of having to throw random arms out there and guys in situations that they're not comfortable in and like we said this is almost a must sweep for each Carolina he is Philip Pilkington. I'm Stephen Igo. Let's take our first break. On the other side, we're going to catch up with David Garrard, former ECU quarterback, former Jaguars quarterback. We'll talk more ECU baseball, hosting picture, all that towards the end of the show. But next is a visit with David Garrard. You're listening to Hoist the Colors on 94.3 The Game. Here there be pirates. Back to Hoist the Colors with Stephen Igo. How good is this on 94.3 The Game? 
All right, welcome back into the program. Friday, May 12th edition of Hoist the Colors on 94.3 The Game. Earlier this week, we caught up with Shane Carden, former East Carolina quarterback. We're going to now book in the week with another former great ECU quarterback, former Jacksonville Jaguars great. He is David Garrard. David, welcome into the program. Steven, what's up, man? How's it going? It's going good. It's going good, David. Hey, so I got to... So Hank Hinton, who hooked us up with this interview, he wants me to ask this right off the cuff. So this will be a good okay. icebreaker uh, for you. He said back in his wedding in April of 2006 in, Spart- 2006 in Spartanburg, you guys had a pretty good time. He uh, he wants to know what happened on that Sunday night on your way back to Jacksonville, if you could share it with us. <laughs> well, we had too much fun that night, and uh, I was still a little tired I was just tired when I woke up, and I had to be back because uh, the next day was, uh, I think it was OTAs, and so uh, I had to get on the road. I could not stay in the bed any longer, and on my way back, I said, man, you know what? I need to stop somewhere, so I stopped at a hotel, got a room for two hours, slept a little bit more, got up, and made my way on back to Jacksonville. <laughs> yeah, and the rest is history. Hey, your career kind of took off from that yep. point forward, which we'll uh, we'll get into here shortly. But David, let's start, man. Your your, your time, uh, obviously at Southern Durham High School, you were a big time recruit. I know coming out, and we'll go back all the way to those days when you were trying to decide yeah. on a college. What what led you to East Carolina originally? What made you want to join, you know, Coach Logan at ECU? It, it was Coach Logan. He, he was not going to let me not come to ECU. Uh, he was, uh, you know. I was being recruited by a lot of schools, and um, not every school was saying, hey, you know, you're a quarterback. We're going to have you come in as a quarterback. You can play quarterback, you know, that kind of stuff. Uh, I think Steve Spurrier came to my high school, and he said, uh, you know, he looks like he'd be a pretty good tight end, you know, because I wasn't a small guy. And uh, so uh, Tennessee, they also, also said, let's bring him in as an athlete and see what he can do and, you know, we'll let him try a little quarterback and you know if that doesn't work out we'll just put him somewhere else and so um but but coach logan kept saying in all his letters every day dave if you go somewhere else son they're gonna put your hand to ground and, and so when he kept telling me that i kept getting nervous that you know maybe these other schools would do that and i didn't want to play another position and he said if you come here i promise you you will be a quarterback we will put you at quarterback so uh, he he made it pretty easy for me. The other school that was um, super interested in me playing quarterback too was uh, Central Florida, because they had just had Dante Culpepper, and they said, "Dave, you can come in here, transition in. Uh, Dante's leaving. When you get here, you know you can just replace him, and we can keep everything kind of rolling." And I thought that was pretty cool too. But I just didn't know Florida. I didn't seem so far away. It seemed like a great place, but it just seemed too far away. I wanted my family to be able to come see me play. And um, when I look back at what ECU was doing with the quarterback position, uh, you know, with Jeff Blake, Marcus Crandall, so they had they had uh, black quarterbacks as well, which was a thing for me because it wasn't that big a thing at that time. And so I didn't want to go somewhere where they had never really had a black quarterback and a big quarterback too and think, well, you know, maybe they'll stick me somewhere else. Maybe they'll make me play linebacker. Maybe they'll, you know, maybe put my hand in the ground, and I didn't want to do that. So uh, Steve Logan is is definitely the reason why I came to ECU. Turned out to be the right decision, that's for sure. You became a heck Absolutely. of a quarterback. And uh, 
uh, obviously at ECU and in the NFL. I, I want to ask you about the, the offense Coach Logan ran because obviously everybody's doing creative things these days. And yeah. he was kind of ahead of the curve at that time and maybe doesn't get enough credit for it. I mean, y- y'all were not only spreading it out, throwing it all over the yard, but y'all were running the option. Like, y'all had a little bit of everything. Yeah. I mean, it had to be a lot of fun to be involved in that offense at that time. It, it did because, you know, the option was still a thing when I was in high school. It's not, it seems so archaic now, but it, it was definitely still a thing when I was in high school. And they actually had just, <laughs> when I got to college, they had just brought in the zone defense, uh, the zone blitz defense. And coach was like, yeah, there's something called a fire zone. And he was like, we're all learning it at the same time. So, you know, get ready for this, son. You're going to see it every Saturday. So <laughs> it, was, uh, it was an interesting time back then. But, yeah. They were throwing it all over the yard, and that's what I loved when, you know, he would send me um, a letter almost every day. He would put in there little stats that uh, Crandall was doing and, and some of the schools that they were playing, and he's like, look, we, we play all the big schools, so and we're beating some of them. So you don't have to go to, to, you know, these Power 5 schools just to play good competition. We're doing it right here, you know, so – all those things really excited me, and um, you know, I'm glad I did make that that um, decision to come to ECU because he was the perfect guy for me. He he really taught me a lot of things. He taught me, you know, how to play the quarterback position, but he also just taught me how to be, you know, a good man and in, in the community. And so that was a big thing for me too. Coach Logan, I guess it was him who coined the phrase. Uh, it was like getting hit by a beer truck when people uh, tackled you. So, w- do you remember? Do you remember when that first came about? And obviously, people still kind of refer to, to David Garrard as the beer truck around here. So, uh, do, you, do you like the nickname? Oh, I love it. I wasn't a Ferrari. I wasn't a Corvette. I might have had a Corvette engine, but I had a beer truck body. You know, so it was it it was definitely perfect for me. You know. I it was better than what my teammates called me. My nickname to them was uh, BK, and that was Buffet Killer. So I would <laughs> rather be uh, <laughs> a beer truck than be a, a Buffet Killer. <laughs> it's funny because it's funny. When I first got there, um, and I'm, you know, at, at like the first ever practice, and none of the older guys had ever seen me play, a lot of the uh, uh, D linemen were like, uh, hey, you know, what position are you? And I'm like, I play quarterback. They were like, man, please, you're going to be over here with your hand in the ground. <laughs> I said, no, I'm not. I might be big now, but I'm going to somehow lose some weight so that I can get out here and run around with these quarterbacks and not put my hand in the dirt. <laughs> what do you remember early on, especially in the 98 season, when you kind of took that the starting job and ran with it and basically yeah. started the rest of your career? Like, what uh, led you to – up to that point, and then when you finally got that opportunity, what allowed you to seize it? You know, um, it's interesting you say that because I keep thinking about it, and I haven't gone back to look at the research. We were playing, I think it was one of our first home games, and I don't know if it was George Washington or George Mason. It, it was a smaller school, but, you know, for me, it was still all big-time college football. And I remember Lamont Chapel had a deep post and I had kind of like a bootleg set up deep and just kind of launch it. And it was one of my first touchdowns. And when I let let it go, I got plowed. I hit the ground. I didn't know what happened once, once the ball got in the air. But then the crowd went crazy because he caught the ball in the back of the end zone for a touchdown. And I thought, wow, this is definitely different than high school because I hadn't – 
pretty much no one that could go and make those kind of plays. And I said, you know what? I feel like maybe I do belong here in college. And, and uh, that was really a play that still stands out to me as one of my first ever, okay, yeah, you do belong here, Dave. And then you guys roll into the '99 season, which, of course, we could we could talk we could do a whole show on the '99 season as, yeah. as a as it is. Uh, but we got to mention the Miami game. I mean, just everything that surrounded that game with Hurricane Floyd coming in wreaking havoc on on the area. You guys were at yeah. South Carolina the week before. You know, you, you had to move the game to Carter Finley Stadium. Big deficit. <laughs> just how can you sum up that experience and the comeback and what everything meant to to the Greenville area at that time? Yeah, I mean, it meant a lot because, you know, we're going through this crazy storm that the football team is not even in town to to really see the devastation, like, happening at that time. And so uh, we're just hearing things. You know, you call home, you call, you know, some of your friends that are still there at campus, and it's just kind of surreal because we couldn't really – focused on it we had to kind of stay focused on a different hurricane and that was the miami hurricanes and then they were trying to figure out well well where we're we going to play you know the can't even get into the city and we're all just like really confused at that like how is the city like un- unoperable how can you not get there and be in the state like it didn't make any sense and to top it all off we only come with a sweatsuit and like two pairs of underwear. The one you wore down, you shower up after the game, and then you go home in a, in a fresh pair. And so everybody's like stuck for a whole week with no clothes. And so, you know, they figure out a way to get everybody a pack of underwear. And then they would just wash our clothes, I guess, there in South Carolina at the, uh, their team facilities. It, it was, it was a crazy time. Um, but getting, to the game and seeing how many of our fans were there and going crazy for us, it meant a lot because there was a lot worse going on and honestly nobody had to show up because there was so much devastation going on back home. And so for us to have all those fans there, and I've actually talked to some people that were NC State students that were like, oh, hey, there's a game that's going on, and they're letting us go to it. Let's go out to the game, and, and we'll actually support the Pirates this time because they're playing a team from Miami. So let's go support the Pirates. It was just unbelievable. It was unbelievable for uh, NC State to let us use the um, Carter-Finley. Like, that was really cool by them. And um, just just the whole atmosphere. It really was. The best part of it was at halftime, we're down 20 to 3, and Coach Logan comes in, and we think we're going to get just chewed out, and he's going to be screaming and yelling, and he didn't. He came in, and he said, he said, men, I want you guys. He said, open those doors, open those doors. They opened the doors up, and he said, I want you to just listen to what those fans out there are yelling. And they were just cheering, and they were just singing, and go Pirates, and all, I mean, we, we had chills, and he didn't have to say anything else, and we were all ready to go, and we did. We got back out there and turned it on, stopped making mistakes, started making plays, and, uh, you know, the rest is history. 
And then y'all welcome NC State to Greenville for the first time ever to close uh, that regular season. Uh, put a pretty good whooping on them. So if, if I remember correctly, you, you said something to the media as far as we're going to punch NC State in the mouth, send them home. Uh, and that turned out to be true at the time. Uh, did Coach Logan love that statement? <laughs> he did not, uh, honestly. Uh, so it was funny because all year long, you know, local media, they were trying to get those questions in there, even when we had another opponent that week. And uh, Coach Logan's thing was, we are not talking about NC State until, you know, we finish that last opponent and then they're the next um, opponent on the schedule. So all year long I had to say, you know, I'm sorry, we're focused on Southern Miss. We can't – I'm not talking about that game. And then finally we get to the moment right after the game. We had just beat whoever, and the first question is, all right, Dave. Tell us about the Wolfpack. What are you guys going to do? And I'm like, well, you know, we're just going to punch him in the mouth and shut him up. And he said, uh, that's it. Uh, in the tape, I'm out the door. I don't have to hear anymore. <laughs> I was like, oh, wow. Was that a little too much? I, I literally was thinking that in my head. The next day, Coach Logan calls me into his office. I'd never really been called into the office like this before. And he's like, son, uh, just want to let you know that's going to be in every kid's locker on that team. Uh, I hope you can back it up because we're going to need you to. I hope you wear every pad they have available. I don't care if you got to make some pads up, put some books in your jersey. You better wear everything they got because <laughs> they're coming for you. And I said, well, you, I mean, do you think it was that bad, Coach? He's like, let me just say, there's, there's never been better bulletin material than that right there. So, good luck to you this weekend. We'll protect you as best we can. <laughs> I was like, okay, all right, I got to step up and uh, try to make some plays here. And actually made a bunch of plays. So, it, it, But it was a rough game. I mean, they were grabbing everything they could in the bottom of the pile. I was getting punched repeatedly. Um, I left the game with probably the sorest ribs I have ever had in my whole football career after that game. Mm. Well, hey, 23-6, <laughs> to six, so you got the last laugh. Hey, uh, absolutely. It, it, it didn't feel that bad. <laughs> There's no doubt. Well, hey, obviously you guys go on to uh, you know make two more bowl appearances in 2000, whooping up on Texas Tech. And the galleryfurniture.com bowl, yeah. you know, close your, your career with the GMAC bowl and then get picked in the fourth round by the Jacksonville Jaguars. I want to ask before we go to the, the NFL time, uh, David, mm-hmm. I've had Keith Stokes, I've had Leonard Henry, Pernell Griffin on my show shows in the past. Like, do you still try and keep in touch with those guys or anybody from that era? I know it's probably, you know, harder than it sounds, but how are those relationships these days? Yeah. You know, uh, Keith Stokes, uh, he definitely reaches out every once in a while. He's in Tampa and, He's still playing flag football down there, gets some of the old guys together, and they go down and, and they put on a big uh, benefit in, in the Tampa area. I don't know how they're able to still run around and play and be healthy after the game, but um, I, I have not seen a lot of the other guys. Now, it's been a very long time since we played and last all been together, but um, you know, early on, we all really kept up 
pretty good. But then, you know, you start having families and you start having jobs and all those kind of things, and, and that kind of stuff gets in the way. So usually when I come back to the games is when I get to see a lot of the uh, old heads, if you will, and uh, kind of catch up and reminisce then. No doubt, no doubt. Well, uh, all right, so let's go on to your NFL time, David. You got picked in the fourth round by the Jaguars, and I remember uh, this well because I actually grew up a Denver Broncos fan. I went to a Broncos at okay. Jaguars game, and as I, this was after Byron Leftwich had gotten drafted in the first round, which at the time I was mad about. Um, but there were, there were T-shirts being sold by Jaguars fans that said, put Gerard in. At that time, Leftwich was starting. What do you, what do yeah. you kind of remember about that time? Because you were kind of seen as the – you know, the guy to follow Mark Brunel. I know there was a coaching change and they drafted Leftwich. And um, that had to be at least a little tough at the time to to hear that news, even though eventually you obviously got the starting job over Leftwich and ran yeah. with it. Yeah, it, it was a, a weird time because it was actually the first time I was a backup. I had never really, high school, um, you know, my true freshman year, I didn't even dress, so... But I was a backup, and I had to, you know, kind of experience that and, and learn from that and try to be the best backup I could possibly. And uh, the thing about Byron, you know, it was tough, of course, he, him being drafted the year after I got there. And, you know, we had had that GMAC game. Gosh, I tried to forget it. Yeah. And then the guy that beats me comes to the team, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, now I got to Every chance he had, he made sure – he talked about the Marshall ECU game, and I had no defense, so I just, you know, had to take it for a while. But um, the thing about that time was, you know, Byron just he he wasn't a a guy that stayed healthy at the quarterback position, so he was giving me a lot of opportunities to play. And my mindset was, hey, look, you got a great opportunity here to show your worth. You, you get to practice every day. And there's quite a few games you get to play in each year, even though you are the backup. So just make sure you take advantage of it every time, every opportunity you get. Make it really hard on the coaches to uh, decide, you know, whether Garrard should go in or, or, or Byron should go in. And I knew I was fighting an uphill battle because when you get picked first, you know, a top 10 um, quarterback is picked. Like, that's really hard. I was just a fourth-round guy, you know. So, But I knew I had some stuff uh, to my advantage that Byron didn't have. Byron was not a mobile guy. And if there's one thing fans love, and now you see it because it's all over the NFL, is when a quarterback can get out there and run for first downs and run for touchdowns and make plays that, uh, other quarterbacks who stand in the pocket can't make. Tony Dungy told me um, when I was backing up at that time, he said, Dave, you're going to be a heck of a quarterback. You make sure you keep doing exactly what you're doing because when you come in the games, our defense goes crazy. They do not like the fact that they have everybody covered, and then here you go, 10, 15 yards down the field, making play with your leg. He's like, that's, we can't cover that. That's you know, really hard for a defense. So keep it up, stay healthy, and just make sure you're studying as much as you can while you're backing up. So there, there were a lot of people that gave me, um, you know, good advice during that time, and I had an agent that was really helpful at that time too. So, and my teammates, my teammates were, I had, you know, not everybody on the team were 
um, Garrard fans, like, hey, we want Garrard out there. But there were quite a few that were like, man, I don't know why they keep putting this guy out there. You're clearly a better, more mobile quarterback than he is. And uh, so that gave me a lot of confidence. It, it really told me, you know, I belong here. So just keep fighting for it. And that's, you know, what I try to tell you know, young kids today that, you know, nowadays kids try to move around so much and get a, a job by in high school just going from high school to high school to high school just so they could try to be a starter instead of just competing and, and buying time and waiting for their moment. You know, and in college now, of course, it's the portal, so they jump around all over the place now. You know, but there's something to sticking with and being loyal to, you know, a program. And once your time comes, kind of like a Mac Jones who sat behind a bunch of Heisman Trophy winners and got the one opportunity and made the most of it. You know, I think that that puts a lot of character in you and, and you know, kind of helps you throughout your football career. We're visiting with David Garrard, former East Carolina quarterback, and also with the Jaguars. And David, got to ask about the the wild card win over the Steelers. I remember watching that game, and you guys were on the road. You had the big run on fourth and two to get you, of course, into into uh, field goal range. What do you remember about that game? It, it's got to go down as one of the best wins in Jaguars history, and I'm sure definitely a, a career highlight for you. Yeah, absolutely. But before. Before I get to that, since yeah. you're a Denver Broncos fan, oh, gosh. <laughs> I have to give you some Denver Broncos stories. So I think I played them uh, maybe two or three times uh, over my career. And Champ Bailey is, oh, yeah. you know, you guys is DB, and he is one of the best, one of the toughest to play against. But for some reason, when we played the Broncos, when I played the Broncos, I would have some of my better games, and I would actually – throw the ball at champ and complete it. And he actually had, which was one of the biggest compliments to me. He said in his paper, cause somebody actually was at the game and then they got the paper the next day and then brought it back somehow got in touch with me. And he said, I don't know what it is with that kid in Jacksonville, but he makes it extremely hard for me to make plays. Like I normally make plays on guys. He, for some reason, makes it much harder for me, and my hat is off to him. He is one heck of a player. So that that's my little Denver Broncos. Yeah. Little I, hey, story. And I beat him like best, so I love that guy. Yeah, so. he, he, he's a great guy. But now going to the Steelers, the team that, you know, when you're in Jacksonville, you do not like them very much. And uh, we played them twice in 07. We played them about three weeks before the playoff game that we went up there and played. So we had to play them back-to-back almost in just a couple weeks' time. Uh, The first time, it was snowing. It was, you know, a terrible weather game. But we had Fred Taylor, Maurice Jones-Drew. We had a great offensive line, and we could pound the rock. Now, we couldn't just run the ball the whole time in that terrible weather. We had to make some plays in the pass game. And we did. The plays that we needed to make were made that um, three weeks before the playoff game. So that helped give us a good little boost. And it helped us figure out some of the things that they did defensively. So when we turned around just a couple weeks later to play them in a playoff game, we were like, okay, we know what they're about. We know what they're trying to do. Um, We had them pegged pretty good. Now, they did have some new wrinkles. Uh, some some plays and of course the uh, atmosphere of the playoffs everything turned up a notch and that year I had only had three interceptions in 
um, during that season, the whole regular season. Now we got into the playoff game, and I, I was doing pretty good in the first half. We're up uh, by a pretty good margin, and then they start making a run. They start making their comeback. Big Ben is catching fire. Uh, I made a couple costly mistakes there in the second half and made one costly mistake towards the end of the game, and we had basically one drive left. I think we were down um, just one or two points or something like that, and we needed this drive. We needed to get down there. We needed to put three on the board, and it, it was only like a minute and change left, or maybe like two minutes. And I, we were able, and I told myself on the sideline, hey, look, you've got to make some plays, Dave. You've got to do something. It's your fault we're in this situation, so go out and make some plays. And I thought, okay, let's just, just go do it. And uh, we made enough plays, got down there, got to fourth and two. Actually, I'll tell you, on third and two, I'm telling my coach, he calls timeout. I say, hey, coach, let's do a quarterback draw. Like, I can get us two yards. Just trust me. He's like, okay, okay, but we're going to treat this as a two-down situation here. Let's try this little flare out from the tight end to the sideline and see if we can outflank him and let him get the first down, and then we'll keep the drive moving. So he said, but if you do not like it, just sail that ball over his head. And you know, as soon as that play started, and I don't even know how close the DB was to the tight end. He could have been like seven yards away from the tight end. But to me, he looked like he was one yard. <laughs> <laughs> so I just sailed that ball over his head. And I said, okay, it's got to be the quarterback draw going to be coming in here. And, and it was. I told my old line, I said, get on your guys and just stick with them as much as you can. I will fight for the two yards. And so I did. They gave me a little hole. I got through there, made just enough of a play. The safety came down, and I thought he was about to light me up, so I protected myself, but he missed, and I was able to scramble for another, you know, 30 yards. So that was, you know, a really big moment in that game. Uh, it gave our team just so much confidence and jubilation because everybody just knew at that point, as long as defense came out and, you know, got a stop, they didn't have much time left on the clock. We were going to win that game, so that was really cool. Awesome moments in your career, for sure. Really love going down memory lane for that one. All right, David. What, so I believe you're in Jacksonville these days still. So yep. get, give yep. us up to date. What, what's the Garrard family up to now? I believe you may even have a son who's going to become a recruit <laughs> uh, in, the, in the coming years. So update us on the Garrard family these days. Yeah, so I have a son. His name is Justin. Um, and I'm going to tell you a story about him. So you know, I'm training him to be a quarterback. I'm like, son, you can carry the torch. The Garrard name is strong for you. And uh, just as he kept growing, he was about eight years old. And I said, son, you're going to have to start working out a little bit and pushing away from the table because daddy's not raising the offensive lineman. So I'm going to need you to tighten up. <laughs> and uh, he got to about 12 or 13, and I said, you know what? I'm giving up on the quarterback because this boy is going to be big. He had already passed me in height at around 13, about 14, and uh, he's in the size 15. He is 6'3 now, and he is 330 pounds, and he is just, a, you know, I, I can't say lean mean. He is really a beer truck. Like, he is, <laughs> man, you talk about a big – and he's only 15 now. In ninth grade, he's just become the right guard starter for his high school. They're in spring practice right now, 
and uh, he's super excited because he's playing well, having a good time out there with his, his boys. But, yes, we were actually going to come up. I think there's a big man camp that uh, Coach Houston is having on the 17th. Now it just happens that it's Father's Day weekend. I am one of the coaches with my wife, who is the head coach of our girls' all-star softball team. We have two girls, and they're both on the same team. And uh, I was telling them, I think Daddy and, and Justin may go up to this camp, and, and but then our, my wife's parents are coming down, and it just it just became too much. So we're not coming to the camp this year, but we know at some point you know, we'll have uh, – bunch of camps to go to probably next summer and and maybe we'll have some uh ecu recruits if anybody's listening up there come down here to fletcher high school jacksonville beach and uh you can check out a, a pretty good talent that i am definitely putting in his ear which i don't have to because they've all been pirate fans this whole time you know but you know there's going to be some other schools that are definitely going to come after them you know so i'm going to push the pirates as much as i can well, David, this has been awesome. Hey, I, I got a pretty good connection with the coaching staff, so I'll tell them to go visit visit uh, visit your there son you down there as well. So, uh, but this has been a great chat, man. We could talk all day, but I don't want to keep it so long, man. But uh, this has been awesome, and appreciate your time on Hoist the Colors on ninety four three. The game. We'll have you on maybe sometime in football season. To talk about the current Pirates, but really appreciate the uh, the visit today. Hey, Stephen, thanks for having me on, man. I love it. Love Hoist the Colors. This is a great show, and you know what? Go Pirates. He is David Garrard, ECU Hall of Famer, former NFL Pro Bowl quarterback. All right, on the other side, we'll talk about the Pirates baseball weekend against Memphis, give you an update on the hosting picture as well. That was David Garrard. This is Hoist the Colors on 94.3 The Game. We'll be be, be back right after this. Hey, what's happening, man? What's happening? Tell me what's happening. Every ECU fan's one stop for all things ECU athletics. This is Hoist the Colors with Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. All right, welcome back into the program. couple minutes left here. We just had an awesome conversation with David Garrard to recap uh, his career, his pro career. Fun trip down memory lane. Uh, so definitely check that out if you missed any of it. It's archived on YouTube after this show ends. Also on Facebook as well, and it'll be in podcast form too. All right, Philip Pilkington back in studio with me. We touched on it earlier, but big weekend for Pirate Baseball, and we, we've kind of dove into the RPI formula here, the numbers, try, to try and see ECU, how much they can move up. They're 19 in the RPI now. You kind of need to be in that top 16 or so to really be in the hosting discussion. And the, the reality is this. ECU, if they lose one game this weekend, they're probably going to take a 7-8 spot drop, depending on what other teams do. This is more of a weekend you have to kind of win to hold ground and hope some of the teams in front of you possibly lose so you can make up some of that ground. The big thing right now with them is they have a couple teams in front of them that if they lose, it hurts them almost as much as it hurts the Pirates. We mentioned that Miami, or you and I did uh, before the show, is playing Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh has been a very subpar baseball team this year. And the West Virginia is playing Texas Tech, who is ranked 25th in the country, but really for RPI standards, not that good. So some opportunities for East Carolina this weekend. However, unfortunately, the opportunities come from other teams not holding serve and there's nothing really the Pirates can do really to help themselves. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day it comes down to ECU's got to find a way to take care of its own business and if they do that, the rest will take care of itself. ECU keeps winning games. If you find a way to sweep this weekend, I think you're going to be in really good shape going into next week and 
Uh, that would give you 38 wins, two shot 40 heading into the last week of the regular season. So there is a ton to play for. ECU's got to worry about that. Of course, we're radio hosts. We can talk about what we want. We got we got to pass the time. By the way, during the interview, we had a few questions on YouTube for David uh, Garrard. Uh, couldn't get to him just because we you know didn't have so much time left. But appreciate y'all and you know going forward, we want to continue to push those comments. Uh, on YouTube, on social media. So you guys are having Aaron Fitz from D1 Baseball on later today on the Patrick Johnson Show. So check that out as we'll uh, get their take on where ECU sits in the hosting picture as well. All right, that'll do it for Hoist the Colors on 94.3 The Game. We'll talk to you guys Monday after the weekend series against Memphis. This has been Hoist the Colors with your host, Stephen Igo. Tune in weekdays at noon for all things ECU sports. Get a recap of the show at 943thegame.com, on Twitter, Facebook, or anywhere you get your podcasts. We're back Monday with more of Hoist the Colors on 943 The Game.